Hello, and I'm back with my really good friend, Ted Rubin, and I'm really excited to have him back again. It has been a year since we had our last podcast together. Is that possible? I know, a year. Can you believe it? Ted is absolutely unbelievable. If you're not following him, get on, follow him now. He's amazing content out there. He's a leading social marketing strategist. He is, his term, return on relationships, if you haven't seen that, Hashtag return relationships. It is absolutely unbelievable. I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, but before we came on, me and Ted were just saying we hadn't hit record because we were having a little bit of a catch up. We hadn't seen each other in a while. But it was really, really interesting where the conversation was going. And we were talking a lot around people and um, us as individuals and finding that inner peace or that inner alignment and how that kind of comes to life and work, I think, is really important. We don't leave it at the door and we bring our whole selves into that building. And Ted, you were just about to say something there and hopefully you're still in that training. Yeah. And we well, said I, I want to say it's especially important now that so many of us work remote and that it's become so accepted because we're missing some of that engagement we get or we're missing a lot of that engagement we get when we're face to face with people. And I think people really want to know who we are and they want to know about us. So the, the point I was talking about is that, look, for years and years and years now, I, I've been in the social space since 2008 when I was at Elf Cosmetics. Um, and um, I was fortunate enough to meet with a lot of CMOs early on and really be a part of the whole growth of this thing. And for years, I've been saying more people hear and see what we say than you know, because so many of us are stuck on the likes and the views and and all these different metrics that either give our company a measurement or give us a measurement of ourselves or our own self-worth. And what I've been saying for years, because I was seeing this along the way, and it became remarkably apparent to me in two specific times in my life over the last 10 years, but I've been saying way more people are paying attention. So many people are lurking. I always say, don't throw out the lurkers because you'll throw out the, the, the diamonds with the dust because so many people don't either. They don't want you to know they're there or it's just not part of who they are or very often, especially in the senior executive and C-suite realm. They, you know, they're them liking something. They have to, they worry about who might see it or who might say something, or are they watching someone they shouldn't be watching or, all the other nonsense that's involved. But in two times of my life, I really discovered and was able to put pen to paper to say, this is a fact, was number one, when I left, um, in, when in 2013, mm. I left Collective Bias, which was a startup that I was a partner in with John Andrews. He had left a little bit earlier. We had just brought in a round, a big round of funding and things tend to change in startups like that, you know, as you know, and both of us fortunately left with our equity. But all of a sudden, I didn't have that immediate connectivity to all these people because Collective Bias had me flying all over the country. I was speaking at a lot of different events. And what I noticed right away was people still knew everything I was doing. People that I now had, I would walk into it literally into the, into the um, lobby of a huge New York city office building. And some guy I never saw before would point at me and go, dude, you're Ted Rubin. You know, I, I was at the event or I saw your video or let me see your socks. Cause I, I was known for my socks. I still am. I use a hashtag Ted Saki. I post them wherever I go. People take pictures of them. Don't ask me, but it started. I was like, Really, I, d- I did not know where that was coming from, but I remember every oh, every day, I see your laptop stickers and I see your sock. It's like well, it's brilliant. <laughs> that's a good that's a good story too. And it used to be even more when I was on stage and other places. Yeah. But the point I'm making is at that point in my life, 
I very specifically heard from people who knew everything I was posting, who knew every place I had been, who would like, like, again, senior guys that would say, oh, dude, I saw you take that ski trip with your daughters. Like, wow. Remember, ski trip with my daughters, not some marketing article or some important business thing. It was a lot lot of the comments. I would say the vast majority, Mm. when people felt comfortable engaging was about my personal life was about a plane trip. I took or something with my daughters or going to an event or being on stage, but it was more about me than it was necessarily about my specific written content. And then it would lead to that. Like, Oh my God. And I saw your blog post about, you know, about customer experience. That's so great. And then the second time this happened dramatically was after COVID. So the pandemic had progressed. We all stayed home for a couple of years in March, right around when I think around when we spoke, I went to my first conference in two and a half years. I went to South by Southwest and John Andrews dragged me there. Like I wasn't really ready, but it turned out that a lot of people there weren't ready. They went there to see if it was going to be okay, to see if the vaccines were working, if we weren't going to, if there wasn't going to be a big outbreak. I think a lot of companies tested by allowing their employees to go. But what was remarkable is the same effect happened. Look, it happens all the time. It happens whenever I travel. It happens just when someone like you reaches out to me and we realize that we've gone back and forth on social media or some posts. Like, I know all this stuff about you and I'll go, but we haven't spoken in like a year. But we have because we have we have via our content. Mm. And and since since this happened, since a year ago, and I've been traveling a lot more and really ramping it up. Everywhere I go, I get people reaching out to me and saying things about what I did or what I wrote or something I did. And and these are not people, again, that are necessarily engaging with my content in a way that I can see. So understand something. When you put stuff out there, more people see it than you know about it, especially if you're consistent. And I say that because if someone knows you're always going to have content there, they're much more apt to look or it's much more apt to come up in the feed or the algorithm is much more likely to feature it if you're constantly putting stuff out there. And again, I'm not asking you to do extra work. I'm telling you to just recognize that some of the stuff you want to do anyway and you think, oh, nobody cares. They do. And if they don't, guess what? They don't have to look at it. So, you know, it's it, it's really simple. And you'll be surprised at how many conversations really do ensue or how many people reach out to you that, you know, that see something. I've had, again, I'm, I'm, I won't name names, but I've had some really senior level executives, guys that I've known over the years, women I've known over the years that I haven't seen in a while. But because of a piece of my content or a, a bunch of them, eventually they'll say, hey, you know, we need to have a cup of coffee or we can we jump on a Zoom or can we catch up? Yeah. And the value in that is just tremendous. So, yeah. you know, kudos uh, to, to, to Louise, who, who constantly engages with me and I love it. Um, and, and many of you might not know this, but um, Ireland is like my favorite country in the world. And and Dublin is my favorite city. So, yes, I've been to Galway and I love it there. But I just uh, Dublin, I'm talking about as like a major city. And and I'm going to tell you why. It's because I find the people there to be incredibly warm and -hmm. hospitable and welcoming. And the friends I made there so easily and and the way they kept wanting me to come back just warmed my heart. And, and, you know, Sean Nolan has become one of my closest buddies and. Samantha, you know, Samantha Kelly, I I could go on and on. There's so many people there, but I'm going to tell you the way I explain it to people. And I hope you guys will appreciate this. If you're in New York City or L.A. or Chicago Mm -hmm. and you pass out in a bar, Mm -hmm. you're going to find yourself out on the street or arrested. One or the other. If you're in Ireland or uh, uh, and you pass out in a bar, 
they're either going to get you back to your hotel or they're going to take you home with them. No one is going to leave you laying out in the street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so true. It's so, and I'm thinking <laughs> of a friend I have where the barman actually drives them home at the right. end. Of the night. Yeah, it's so funny because they've no taxis in that area because it's so right. funny. So I'm like, to her, how do you get home? She's like, oh, the barman just drops us home. And I'm like, this right. is so funny. Yeah, it is. And it is very much the, you look after one another and right. the value. Oh, definitely. You mind one another. And that's the mentality you have. And I think, you know, that's so important to what you say with your return on relationships and, you know, with people. And I think, I think the biggest blockage for people, uh, Tim, is they are afraid to put out their personal content. I think they have like, you know, I I talk to so many people about social media and I'm like, and and it's so funny what you said. I was um, doing some sea swimming and just so you know, in Ireland, the water is very cold. It's freezing. I know. It's crazy. Atlantic water. Okay. So I would do sea swimming with my sister. We live literally a couple, like literally it's not even two minutes in the car from my house. So we go into the Atlantic. It's absolutely Baltic. She goes in in her togs because she's crazy. I go in in my wetsuit because I'm not crazy. Um, it's so cold so we go in anyways and I don't know if you've seen the Wim Hof where he's submerged in cold water Um, so they're so into it in this part of Europe everyone now is like Wim Hof we're going to go into the cold water it's meant to be good for your central nervous system so there is some scientific data there but it is absolutely freezing Um, and I've done a couple of those dips and I put it up on my Instagram and lo and behold (laughs) everyone I met was like oh you do see swimming every day and I was like and no I don't really everybody do but people see it, it. Is, they see it exactly what you said Ted and it is so interesting um to see the power of that social media piece and going back to what you said there I was one of those people for at the beginning Ted I was afraid to put out my personal life onto social media. I set up my business. I talked about my work um, and I really kind of left my personal to one side. Does that make sense? Because it's a different type of vulnerability. Um, And if you're someone like me, who is I am kind of private with my my love life with all of that and that I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to, you know, everyone to know that or I don't know. Do I want to say that? So. I only recently, I'd say in the last year, have people seen posts about my son who is, he does a lot of um, Thai boxing. So he competes mm-hmm. all around Ireland. And I put up posts and it was so, it's so funny you say that, right? Because the first thing people say to me when they meet me isn't about my business. It's about my son. How is he getting on his Thai boxing? And how am I getting on in my sea swimming? So to, to, to hone in on what you said there, and I think if anyone is listening to this, it doesn't mean that you're telling people how many times you went to the bathroom. Right. It's not telling people, you know, you know, these kind of things that it isn't. It's literally just giving them a glimpse into your kind of who you are. You know, Louise is a mum, you know, Louise. Has people, job, you know. people want, people want to know who you are. Yeah. And, and again, by the way, if they don't, and if they're one of those people that wants to keep it strictly at, at arm's length, then they don't have to watch. You yeah. know, it's it's just like when you're, again, it, it, to me, 
Number one is it gives us more of an opportunity, but again, especially since so many of us are separated now, it gives the opportunity to find out what you would have found at lunch in a cafeteria, you know, around the water cooler, just in meetings before they start. So I want everyone to know I was not looking at my phone and reading text. I was trying to find a video that I think you'll appreciate. And let me see. Oh, I don't know if it's going to be big enough. So this is a place you might remember. I hope it plays. This was a video of this place in, in Ireland where short, where you jump in the water. And yeah. uh, I don't know if you can see this. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's in. Is that Black Rock? Is that in Dublin somewhere? Is it? No, this is outside. This is um, I forgot the name of the town. I'd say it's Wick- um, it looks like Greystones or Wickler or one of those. It's 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 got a beach there. I was so Sean insisted we go, but it happened that as coincidence would happen, I was rushed to the hospital a week before I came to Ireland and I needed surgery on an umbilical hernia. So when I got there, it was out of the question. I couldn't jump in the water. So I had the perfect excuse that I was just the cameraman. <laughs> and, every, and every time Sean and I talk, he goes, you know, the next time we go back there, you're not getting off so easy. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. So we have, so in Galway, we have a diving board as well. So it's nearly at Christmas time. It's absolutely freezing cold. Um, it's a tradition in Galway that everyone on Christmas Day was in for the Christmas Day swim. So they do for charity. This was, uh, I think, the first week in November in, yeah. 2000, in 2016. Yeah, it's cold. At, at, it is and cold. it's cold. I mean, he was... <laughs> You know, like I said, I was just lucky that there was like, I'm like, I can't do it. I'm sorry. The doctor said like, no way. You know? Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> Secretly inside, like, yeah, totally. Um, but you know, what's great whenever I talk to you, Ted, and it's obviously a natural thing that's obviously built into you and the fiber of who you are. You actually remember little tidbits about people and you remember things and stories that connect people. Um, and I just, it's really, interesting because I was talking to someone recently and they said to me that we write down when they have customers in their store it's a small store okay so they write down it's a hairdressers and it's one of the first fully sustainable zero to landfill waste hairdressers in the UK and Irish market okay and this amazing woman is creating a training program for L'Oreal you know L'Oreal the 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 company Mm -hmm. um to to support other hair salons to be 100% um, sustainable and she really really interesting she when she gets her clients coming into her there's a note on each one of the clients that come into that hair salon and beside their name she writes down it was their daughter's communion and um, their right. son got married so when they come in the whoever is on that reception desk is able to go Oh, um, Ted, I remember that your daughter had that thing. How did she get on? And I just thought, I was like, that is absolutely. And it's something small like that, but it makes such a massive difference. Uh, uh, so I call that looking people in the eye digitally. Yeah. So uh, let's see. The, I, I, wrote the, I wrote a book called How to Look People in the Eye Digitally. It came out after Return on Relationship. And the whole point of it is that there's no reason for you not to do your research before you meet somebody or before someone comes into your store. It's very often it's as simple as Googling them online or going to their Facebook or their page or their 
or their LinkedIn page. Or if you want to be more proactive, if you have a hair studio like that, you can ask people like, oh, we'd love to connect on Facebook or you should follow our mm -hmm. page or something so that you have access to things. So, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a story. When I was just out of college, we're talking about 1980. So just a few years ago, uh, my dad was the guy who kind of taught me about relationships. And I had my first job and it was a sales job. Uh, uh, and he said, and he, and he knew that my job, my immediate goal was to get appointments. So he calls me up, you know, at the end of the week and he says, so how'd it go? And I go, went, well, he goes, did you get an appointment? I said, I did. He goes, when is it? I said, Thursday. He said, what time? I said, 10 o'clock in the morning. He said, so when are you going to get there? I said, I don't know, about five to 10, 10 to 10. He goes, no, get there at nine o'clock in the morning. Now, remember, this was 1980. None of everything we have around now existed. There was no way to find out about people. He said, get there an hour early, walk around the neighborhood, see what businesses are there, what restaurants are there, go in the building, look at the, look at the board and see what other companies are there. Get into the office 15 to 20 minutes early and see if there's any way for um, his assistant to let you, his or her assistant to let you in the office and look for photos on the wall. And, and if you don't get in early, that's the first thing you do. Look for, are they a parent? Are they a grandparent? Are, are they an athlete? Do they play golf? Do they play tennis? Do they sail? Do they hunt? Find points of emotional connection so that you're not there trying to sell them something. You're there to talk to them and get to know them. And this was a very difficult procedure to, to do back then because you had to do it all on the fly. You had to do it all when you're doing it. But now there's no excuse to go into a meeting and not know how long the person is sitting across the table has worked for the company, not know what their job was before that, not know something about them. It, it, to me, when I go as a consultant in some of these meetings, I'm embarrassed when a salesman will go, so how long have you been here? I'll be like... How could they not know how long they've been here? Everybody's on LinkedIn. I mean, yeah. what, the, what it should, what, what the comment should have been was, you know, I noticed you've been here for ten years. You must know a lot about the company. I'm sure there's a lot you can teach us. Or if the person just started, I noticed that you just started. What can we do to support you? I mean, there's ways to use that information because it's all there. So there's kind of no excuse. Even if it's last minute, you forgot, you're in your car, you're, you're just, or you're just about to walk into a meeting, or you're just about to get on a call, you know, pull it up. I mean, there's a reason I noticed that you and I were not connected on LinkedIn, because I was prepping before our call. Yeah. And, and I couldn't believe that we weren't, I, I'm convinced, I think we must have been connected and somehow it got disconnected, because how could we have not been connected on no, LinkedIn? No, because I'm connected to John, and I was like, how, right. I, yeah, because I was like, I nearly. John is my, okay. John is my business partner, by the way, people, so you'll, you'll understand. John Andrews, yeah, they John wrote Andrews, an amazing And I introduced them. Yeah. But again, the point was, I knew because I looked. Yeah. Because I was because I was checking things out because I, I looked at your podcast because that information is available. Why wouldn't I want to check, yeah. you know, and 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 do things like that? So, yeah. um, oh, by the way, speaking of John, he asked me to please send his regards. Mm, I, John Thanks. is amazing. He's, he's such we were talking about kindness earlier and he just comes across with such kindness and caringness. You just get that off, John. He's just he's really yes. nice. Yeah, he's a nice, you can feel it. You know, you can get energies. I think he, even though we're on Zoom, I think you can actually feel people's energies across. And he's just seems, he's so genuine. He's just a really nice guy. His, his Southern accent from North Carolina doesn't hurt either. Cause you know, y'all just yeah. makes you feel, makes yeah. you feel, makes you feel welcome. 
I love it. And we've no access like that over here at all. So it's like, it is like you're listening to it and you're like, it's like nearly someone is singing to you. You want them to keep going. You know what I mean? Yeah, I absolutely love it. Can I ask you a question? So if you were to go into a company in the morning um, and you were to say to them, this is how you build relationships with your team inside and in an effective way that's going to you know stem out because I see people talking about social media and they're like, you know, we want our our customers to be engaged in a great experience. And I've worked for some companies like that, Ted, and I'm kind of going, it kind of starts from the inside out. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we can't be going on saying let's do this and let's talk. And because it really does, that experience to me starts as a team member. When you're in there, you're doing the work. It, it, you know, that ex- so what would you do if you were going into a company, you were taking it over, it could be a retail store. What would be the key areas you would now pre- I know you're laughing at me, but pretend, right? Ten is we're going, what is that thing called again, that program? What is it called? Undercover boss. Uh, undercover boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so pretend you own a chain of like retail stores, right? And Ted is coming in as undercover boss. This is actually quite fun. And um, you're coming in as the manager, right? And yeah, you know, they're training you in, say, right? But you know the company. What would you be looking for? What would you kind of, I suppose, benchmark? Or how would you figure out how to um, put your stamp on it or, or, you know, make that grace with the team? Well, I think the, the most important thing to remember is you can't just come in and change things. You, yeah. you, at least I, no, I don't that, see that, that is, It's a valid, no, it is. And I think we forget about that. We forget about that. We have these ideas. I, That's good. I, I, I think you have to lead by example. Yeah, I think you have to start doing things yourself. I think that people mm. mirror off of other people. So you start out by being, you know, incredibly friendly by showing true interest in, in you know, you know the old expression. We all, I, I mean, I'm sure it's different in Ireland, but you walk by people in Long in in the states. Hey, how are you? Or you say, what's up? But nobody waits for the answer. You know, it's it's more of an expression of hi. Like to me, I'm like, just say hi because when you say hi. There's nothing, but when you say, how are you doing? But you don't wait to hear me tell you how I'm doing, yeah. you know, or you don't answer. So I think that in a situation like that, it, it needs to be something gradual. You need to come in. You need to show people that you care about them, that you actually want to know who they are. Like you were saying with the woman with the shop, you start taking your own notes. I mean, look, I take notes here. I sit out by my dock and different people walk by. And every once in a while, someone stops or introduces themselves. And I have a little note section. I have a million of them on here. And I have one called neighbors. And every time I meet a new neighbor, I write down their names, I put down their names and something about them that's unique that will make me remember who that person is. Because a lot of times I won't see them again for another month or I just don't remember. Are you in a boat or something? Are you near a boat or are you uh, on I, I live on the water. So I'm oh, right, I have I, I have a hundred feet of dock and I'm off something called the intercoastal, which is a big waterway that goes up and down the okay. East coast of the United States. But regardless, this could be anywhere. You're sitting yeah, outside, yeah. You, you sit, you sit on your, on your porch. Mm. And people walk by and, you know, again, I'm sure you know how this is. Sometimes there were really nice people. The first time they walk by, they say, hello. sometimes it takes the 10th or 11th walk by and they finally go, oh, by the way, you know, I'm Louise. Oh, I'm Ted. So I write that stuff down. And that way, the next time I see that person coming, 
I can quit. If I don't remember who they are, I can quickly go to my, my phone, pull up neighbors and say, oh, uh, the woman with the long black hair, with the, with the husband, with the mustache. And, you know, and I'll go, oh, you know, Dan and Joy, how are you? Nice to see you. And they're like, oh, wow, you remembered our names. You know, and I, I do the same thing for businesses, for people. Yeah. Um, in my phone, after I meet you, very often the first conversation we had will go into my contacts file. So I'll have the person's name. And then I'll say how I met them at Brand Innovators in Las Vegas on 2-3-23. And, and then if we have an initial email. I'll take that email and I will put it into my contacts. So the next ah. time I bump into them, uh, so very often I'll bump into someone I haven't seen for four years and either I'll very surreptitiously be able to look and then say to them, oh yeah, we met like in 2016 at, and they'll be like, oh my God, that's amazing. Or mm. they might see me looking and they'll go, what are you looking at? I'll go, I'm looking at my notes. We met and then they're just as impressed because they go, so you took the time to write that down? Wow. And that, now, by the way, this is not easy. It's a lot of it's work. It's not easy. It's work, but okay. it is, wow. But, that is. But, but think yeah. about how easily you could do this in your, in your store because yeah. there's a limited universe of employees. Or I don't care if it's a huge company. No matter who you are, the, the, the people you come in contact with, if you see them every day, it's probably going to be easy because little by little it's going to end. But also, if, I'm at, if I am at a business event or I'm at a business mm -hmm. dinner and someone mentions, oh, is my daughter's sixth birthday last night? Uh, like I'll very happy go, oh, that's so nice. What's her name? Oh, Lori. And then I'll quickly put into my notes, Lori, birthday with the date. And now every year, look, it's, I used to reach out to people every year on their birthday and I had a notebook. This is before all the tools we have. Everything was manual. I had a book that over Christmas every year, over Christmas vacation, I would rewrite it into my new date book, into every date where somebody's wow. birthday was. Wow. Okay, now, now it's done for us because yeah. of Facebook and LinkedIn. So now I write something you I write something like special. I don't just write happy birthday. I send a, a quote or something that's my quote of the year or something that I'm sharing just to make it a little bit more unique. Uh, but what I really love to do is find out when their when their wife's birthday is or when their kid's birthday is or when their mother's birthday is because that they do not have posted on social media. So when you reach out about that, they're like, "Oh wow." Like, you know, literally, I have a dear friend I grew up with, and she had a son that passed away many years ago. And I know her since we were kids. And I have the, that date in my, in, my, in my contacts because I know that it's a very important date to her every year. And when I reached out to her this year, she says, you are, including my family, the only one that reaches out to me on that day. And it means so much to me. Um, these are things that within, again, we were back, let's go back to your example. I'm a new manager. I'm in a store. I want to try to affect these changes throughout the chain. Um, but I've got to start at one store. So start paying attention, start knowing who people are, start mm. sharing content mm. and getting them more comfortable with it. Cause, oh my God, T Ted's sharing about the store, you know, and then gradually what I'd like to do is something that Sue Zimmerman who calls herself Instagram, well, at least she used to call herself Instagram gal. I'm not sure what she calls herself now, but for years and years, back from when I first met her, I think in like 2011, she started becoming an Instagram expert because she owned a retail store and she started using Instagram. Then she started requiring that all her associates have an Instagram account 
and share about the clothing that was coming in, about the store, about the mm. day. And then she started training other companies to do that. So I would want all the, look, one of the things that I've done with John Andrews and we've done is trying to get people, we did it with Photify when we were there, is getting people to share nicely branded content with their audiences, not just through the handle of the, of the business or the store, but through each employee's stuff. And then, unlike a lot of businesses who want to keep it straight business, tell them they should share stuff about their personal life. They should share stuff about fun things they're doing because that makes them human. That makes people feel connected to them. That makes people feel like they're not being sold to all the time. Yeah. And, and, and I think, so there's your first example. I mean, you know, I, I would start caring about the people. I'd start listening and learning about who each of them were as individuals. Mm. And then I would also, I would graduate that. I'd start having you know, daily coffee breaks or, you know, maybe Friday night cocktails or, you know, whatever works into the to the culture of the company. But what I like to say is instead of just focusing on culture of a company, focus on a culture of community, of employee community. Get your employees to feel like they're part of something, like they have a mission, like they're in it together because a network gives you reach, but a community gives you power. Networks connect, communities care. And that's the real return on relationship. Yeah, yeah. I think it's looking at those small things, those those little incremental things. I think Ted is is what I'm listening to you on because I think anyone that's listening to this, um, and they're here returning relationships and community. What does that mean for me in my business? So I think what you said they're paying attention. So I think it's again their child's birthday. Can we do something like that? Can we create, right. you know, some sort of a thing where it's your kid's birthday, you get a paid leave day. We do paid leave days for employee birthday. Why do we do uh, paid leave day for, for your kid's birthday? Or, you know, or, or how, something. Yeah. Or how about encouraging people to go to their kids' games? I mean, like when I used to have to go to my daughter's games, I used to have to sneak out of the office and make up an excuse for where I was going. Now, luckily, at the time, my daughter was very active um, athletically, I was the CEO of Elf Cosmetics, so I really wasn't answering to anybody other than the owners or my employees. So I'd be like, yeah, I'm running out. I got something to go to or I got to go to this meeting. And then, of course, I wouldn't let I would answer emails and do things as if I was working. But now with with remote work and the fact that people can so easily make up their work time, like after the game or after mm-hmm. something else or later at night, mm-hmm. it should be it should be encouraged. Now, I want to take one quick commercial break. I wore this hat. Because that is the state of North Carolina. So this is a tribute to my business partner, John Andrews. Johnny, we love you. We're, 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 we're thinking about you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say it again. Louise, you got to have John back on here, too, because I'm sure that there's so much more that he can add. So, you know, John is the brains of our operation. I'm the emotions and the, and the return on relationship thing and the engagement, although he's real good at that stuff, too. I just talk about it more. He's the real, he's the real brains of, the retail, uh, of retail relevancy. Yeah, yeah, no, he's fantastic. We had loads. The talk we had on that for it was unreal, Ted, that what we were talking about. It was fantastic. It was really interesting because you're looking at the US market and the European market, and there's loads of learnings there and loads of similarities, but also loads of differences. Right. We can both learn from one another. And um, going back to what you said there, you know, this kind of emotional investment and everyone is working hybrid. Well, a lot of companies are given that option now. Is that disparity growing further apart? Are we seeing that 
uh, people are because I'm seeing a huge uplift, especially over here in Ireland, um, where a lot of companies now are looking for training, communication training, skills training around that, because a lot of the leadership teams are struggling um, to manage workers that are remote. So they're struggling to get that team dynamic, the collaboration piece um, in some companies when they're remote. So how do you keep that kind of community feel going when they are remote? Well, first of all, I think you have to, I think a lot of companies are still figuring it out. Yeah. A lot of companies are, are deciding where they want to be. A lot of companies are pushing back now and trying to get people back into the office uh, because it's easier for them, the companies. It's easier for the brand or the company to manage it if everybody's local. So they're, of course, looking for what's easier for them. But is it better for employees? Now, I think in some cases it might be. It all depends on the product. It depends on the industry. It depends on, you know, the, the point of life of the worker. You know, sure. I mean, young people, I'm not, look, I'm not speaking for everybody. And I, I'm going to generalize a little bit because sometimes you have to just have the conversation. But maybe when people are younger or first out of school, having them in an office might be a better thing because of the socialization aspect, because of the mentoring aspect. You know, having senior executives come in and out that can teach them or mentor them. I, I think a lot of this is being figured out. And I think it's hard for the companies to decide how to do and to, uh, to decide how best to do it until they decide how they're going to do it. And I think a lot of that is going to take some time and testing. Um, but I think that they're going to have to develop new tools. They're going to have to figure out ways for a little bit, maybe more of one-on-one -on -one mentoring. You know, right now, I think, not right now, before the pandemic, I would say the vast majority of internal mentoring going on in a company you know, I'm not talking about the idea of having a mentor that you pick from the outside, mm -hmm. but most indoor, you know, into internal mentoring happened. Number one, serendipitously, it happened because people were together, because people were close to each other. Some of it was encouraged by companies in a great way. But again, it was easy because they were right down the hall and they could say, hey, let's just get together for 10 minutes. They didn't have to plan a get together. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of it now has to just figure out how to re rework this so that people are still getting that feedback. Do we have to assign mentors? Because it might be a little harder for so like a lot of mentoring happens without it being a mentor like i yeah. say i mentor i mentor a lot of people but i do not i never never take on the title of your mentor and if when someone feels they need that i send them to somebody else because that's just not a commitment i can make but i mentor a lot of people just by my daily conversations and getting on the phone with them so i think that a lot of mentoring that was happening pre-pandemic was happening just naturally because i'm in a room and i'm with you and you're my senior vp and i either don't talk or i make a, a good comment or a bad comment and right after either she she says it to me publicly or she says hey ted stay for a minute listen i think this would what you did was awesome but here's a way to think about it or you know, whatever it happens to be, some of that might not be happening in the same way because it's a little bit more, um, it's harder to happen via Zoom, like, oh, Ted, just stay on the Zoom. Or I, I, you have to be a little more proactive by saying, by just calling, like every time I get off a Zoom meeting, I usually call somebody on that call direct because I have more comments to make or feedback to give or something. So I think we have to just start thinking a little bit more proactively about how we help people grow, how we give them the tools to do it if it's not happening in, in a workspace. And then, look, I also I work with a few companies that 
have two days a week that they want employees in the office and they rotate it. So they keep it kind of moving. So it's not always the same people always together and people make appointments, but people do come in and get something. I think a lot of this can be done by the tools we're using right here. I think these tools are going to improve where there can be side conversations. I don't really see them happening yet, but things that will be more like a meeting where I could tap the person sitting next to me and say, hey, what do you think of this? You know, And then they can give me a little bit of a push to raise my hand and say what I'm thinking. So I, I just think a lot of this is a work in progress that we have to proactively think about how can we help people grow and improve in, in these new working environments? So maybe it has to be more directed. Ted, you're assigned so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. You need to talk to them X amount of times a month, a week, a year to help them along. Or you just have to be available to them. Uh, I think I don't have the answer, but I think it's a work in progress. No, I think you did give really good suggestions there, though, Ted. What you said there, I thought that was really interesting, actually. And, and it really is. I've seen it myself that those kind of, you know, conversations at the water cooler, the conversations before the meeting and after the meeting, or when you're having your coffee in between, you know, those conversations, as you said, they mightn't be classed as official mentoring, but you are mentoring, you are talking through that. And I think now that we're not having so many of those meetings on site, and we're maybe not having those bumping into one another at the water cooler or the coffee machine or whichever, I think, how are we going to structure those conversations in a way where they're happening regularly um, and, and maybe encouraging them to happen more proactively? Because now they're not happening naturally because that environment we're in, we're not in that same realm now. So now I have to think of a different way of creating the environment where those conversations can happen. So I think it's going back to what you said. I think that was, it's actually, and even though it might seem pretty straightforward, when you think about it, I don't see a lot of people doing that. I I, we, I, I haven't heard we it. Ha- we have to be more proactive because in any situation like this, people will fall behind because the aggressive types, the ones who are, have no problem asking people for help or asking mentors to work with them or asking senior executives questions. It's the ones that that don't feel as comfortable doing that, that we're getting it anyway because people are around that we can't let fall behind because there's a lot of great, and this is, and by the way, this is not about fairness. Not that fairness isn't a good thing, but this is about you, you're going to miss out on some really great talent who just aren't naturally getting that that serendipitous mentoring that we have to make sure that they get. Yeah, definitely. We, before we came on, we, we touched on kind of alignment and I've seen you talk a lot. I've watched loads of your content. Um, where do you feel aligned? Because, and I think this is an important topic to talk about because we're talking about people, we're talking about return on relationships. And I think any, any place where I worked with, you know, small teams or large teams, we need to know what makes people excited. We need to know what makes people want to get out of bed in the morning. We need to figure out what makes them happy, what puts joy in their heart, what makes them excited to go in the door of the workplace. Um, what, where do you get that from, Ted? Where, where is that kind of that drive, that excitement? Because I see it on your social media. I see the passion. It comes out when you talk. Um, but where, where, how, where is that coming from? Where, where is that fuel from? <sighs> I, 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 that's a, if I, you know, that's like saying, find someone that does something well, and we're just going to take that process and, and <laughs> we're going to build an, we're, we're going to build an army of them. I, I think where it comes from and what we have to open our eyes to is that everybody's an individual 
And, and there's not one set way. You know, look, it, it, it's one of the problems with education in the United States is that we are still using mostly the education that was that was that was formulated to build factory workers to build. And I'm going to use a word that's somewhat derogatory, but I just I'm only using it because it describes it. But to build lemmings, to build people that learn certain things, come in, follow orders, do a job. Unfortunately, those jobs aren't available anymore. I mean, there are some of them, clearly, but as we all know, things are changing. You need different skills. Everybody says that all these new technologies are going to lose jobs for people, but they're also creating jobs. Yeah. So what we have to do as, as, as our countries and as people mm. is figure out how can we educate people better for these new jobs. And I think part of that is looking at people as individuals that we, you know, yes, there are certain skills that obviously we all need. You have to do math. You have to be able to read. You know, you have to, if it's going to come to the future, it might be you have to know how to code or you have to have a technological um, way of thinking, which personally I don't. So that it, this new world would probably hold me back. But what I've always done is found people like John Andrews and Michael Frazier and Jay Thornton. These are business partners of mine who understand the technology side. And I bring the engagement relationship side, which I think is always going to be necessary. But I think that um, we're going to have to think long and hard about how do we how do we handle people's individuals? If you want someone to have my passion or enthusiasm, I think you have to be willing to spot it, not create it. Uh, in, in other words, you, it's very uh, I've had no look, I've tried. You know, we all have, uh, I have, I have kids and, and I have nephew, nieces and nephews and I have friends, kids who, you know, we all think, oh, let's just show them how to be excited. And, you know, it doesn't work that way. You know, and, and so what I think you have to do is I think we have to start creating more companies as well as um, educational institutions that get to know the people who are joining their ranks, either as students or as employees and find what their skills are, not tell them, because, of course, you don't want to say, OK, you're not going to do this because you're only good at that. That's also goes back to the old story where you don't know what someone's going to be good at, but find their passion, find something they're doing. Try to not necessarily make them take a job for that. But how do I what I always tried to do? And I, I ran into a lot of barriers with this when back in the day, back in the 90s or the 80s, where I tried to treat people as individuals. And I had senior people above me saying, no, this is their job. Just get them to do it. And I'd say, yeah, but everybody has a different skill. This one is great at talking to people. This one makes unbelievable facial expressions or she can really, you can feel her warmth. Let's use her and let's let her do her job differently. Let's give her the ability or encourage her to talk to people because she, she evokes empathy. Whereas someone else I see doesn't evoke that same empathy. So let's give him the tools to find all the data or the information they need. So I think that a lot of that has to happen. And yeah, I think it's happening in a lot of the upper ranks. I think a lot of companies are looking at things like that, but I just don't think we're yet educating people in that direction in, in trying to help them, you know, with, with recognize their talents and, 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 and embrace them instead of saying, Oh wow, you know, you, Ted, you're way too over. I used to hear this all the time. You're 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 too enthusiastic. You know, take it down a notch. You know, and and you know how you make someone feel when they get all excited about something, and they raise their hand, and you go, "Hey, calm down." Those are the skills I think we have to learn to teach some of our more senior people and our people in management roles about about how to welcome that enthusiasm rather than suppress it. Love that, Ted. I absolutely love what you said there because. I'd love to hear more of those conversations being had because I think 
there is absolute diamonds out there and like that I <laughs> I used to be <laughs> people used to think I was too happy um at one point and <laughs> they were like it's not like real it's like fake it's like it's not right. fake it's just I'm an, <laughs> I'm an optimist I'm just it's just my personality I'm like so what gives me energy is people so if I'm and I figured that out through COVID and um, I was really, I got really down because I wasn't around people. And I even figured it out when I went self-employed and I was working for myself. I was so down in the dumps because I need energy. I'm such an extrovert. I'm not around people for more than six, seven hours. My energy levels zap and I just want to go to bed. And so (laughs) around people, I literally get energy. So I I recognize that trait in me. So I'm in a, I'm in, I'm in my home when I'm around groups of people. I'm so excited. It's like I'm a puppy, you know, oh my God, so many people to talk to, you know, I get so excited, but you know, I think going back to what you said there, certain certain companies I worked in and I'll never forget it and this is this isn't this is probably a sad story but I'll share it anyways I worked in a company years ago I was I think I was 18 at the time and um it was a glasses company and I was brought up I suppose I was working since I was 13 and I was brought up with the mentality that you always have to be busy Louise you can never go in and, and you know stand around and I remember I worked in this particular glasses shop and I Everyone was standing by the really expensive luxury glass cases and the customers have come in and I would never stand still. So I'd be cleaning everything, I'd be up talking, I'd be running around the shop. And I remember the manager pulling me in one day and I'll never forget it. And he said his words to me were, was that I need to stop running around and cleaning and I said to him I was really confused at this point because I I felt that I'd done something wrong because it was a really serious conversation and he seemed a bit cross with me and I said I'm I'm just a little bit confused like why do you want me to stop cleaning and and doing stuff and fixing the displays and he said to me that um by me being so active all the rest of the team were unhappy with me because <laughs> they felt I was making them look bad because they right. were standing around. So I didn't take this very well, right? <laughs> I bet. No. So I I lasted about an hour of standing and literally it was like there was ants in my pants. I was standing and I was wibbling and wobbling. And I went back to my old, I better keep busy. And I was later let go from that role because I was working too much. Uh, and I was seen as not fitting into the culture. Now, that is a typical example. I don't share that. This is the first time I've actually ever shared that story. Um, but it was, it was, it was one of those things. And, and it's what you said there to me. Um, they didn't see what my skills were. So if they were actually really super, super looking at my strengths and super smart, they would have actually put me activating outside the store and stopping traffic right. and getting me to bring customers in because I could form relationships really quickly. I would have had no problem in traffic stopping walkers by. I would have brought them in with me talking to them and, and they would have increased footfall in the store. So looking back on that experience many years ago, I'm going that manager wasn't educated on finding that that skill set, that strength based approach. Right. 
they were really working within the remit that this is what you do in here. And if you don't follow this little model of a person, then you don't really fit. So now you're going to go um, or you're going to naturally just migrate out. Um, and I wasn't migrating because I was too busy cleaning. Um, so then I was told to go. But it, it's just it's really, really interesting because um, I, I don't hear a lot of those things, but I see them happening. So it's like the invisibles. I always say there's there's a visible in a business, you know, the visible. We can see job spec. We can see this. that, And then there's the invisibles. And I always ask teams when I'm doing any talks, I'm like, what's the invisible feeling that you feel? I like that. I like that. I like that term, the invisibles, because my whole life I was the one that did it different and and usually got reprimanded, um, yeah. even if I even when I succeeded. Like, well, you're, you know, you're ruining it for everybody else. Like, you know, wow, you are the best salesman here. You're selling the most, but you're not following the, you know, so for me, it was always, it was kind of similar. I worked in someone with the opposite thing. I, my first job in a retail store was at a store called Schwatzky's, which was in my hometown. And it was like the clothing store for everybody. And you had to always be busy. So if there was nothing to do, we had to take shirts out of the wall <laughs> open them up and refold them and, 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 and put them back in the wall. And I would resist because I'd be like, the wall looks perfect. And instead I'd be talking to somebody and sometimes it was a potential customer, but I wasn't talking about them buying a shirt or a pair of slacks. So that wasn't accepted or it was another employee. And I was just, like, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I'm like, yeah, but if, if we, if we like each other and know each other more, aren't we going to be happier about being here for long hours? And they would have none of it. It was like, do it this way. But I would always skirt the edge. Like I'd always be the one going off and doing something else or helping out somewhere else or, or doing something. And then when I was first out of college, I was, um, I was a salesman in the stock brokerage business and you were required to make 200 calls a day. And I never made 200 calls a day because I talked too long to the people. Because I and I don't and in the end I made as much or more than anybody else because I would sell them more because I got to, I got friendly with them and I'd always say what is the difference if I sell a hundred people or if I sell twenty people if I'm selling the same amount or more and actually I'm getting closer to them because the ones that I, if I'm selling a hundred how how much could I know about them you know but again. I ended up having to leave that job at one point because they, they, they didn't like the way I was doing it, even though my numbers, because they felt that was a bad influence on the people that wouldn't be able to build the relationships I was building. So, yes, back to I think the good point is you've got to look at your people as individuals, especially in, in, in the sales area. I know it can be, by the way, that can be challenging. And there is I'm not saying in every aspect, in every way, there have to be certain channels and have to be certain boundaries and there have to be certain goals that everybody has to live up to in a certain way. I mean, when you, again, difference being a small store or a 10,000 person sales force, obviously mm -hmm. the bigger it gets, the more you have to put boundaries in and rules mm -hmm. and, and ways for people to go. But you also have to make allowances for those huge producers or those, those anomalies or those outsiders who knock the ball out of the park they just don't do it your way yeah definitely and I think you know you you put down disruptor and I just think and I I know I know someone else and you remind me so much of them um and the, the whole thing of disruptors but I see that as a positive 
you know, we, we need more people with different ways of doing things and different approaches, I think. And it's about embracing those those different qualities. You know, yeah, we have Renus, yeah, we have policies and procedures, but it's it's the personality. We all know that. Like if you walk into a retailer, you could have whatever, you could have the same retailer and they can have 40 different outlets and I always say you walk into one here and you drive three hours away and you walk into that same store, same product placement, same layout, same square footage, um, same store design, but you get a different feel. Mm. The feel you get isn't the products inside the business. It's the way people team are actually cultivating and a hundred percent you, you, and you can very quickly tell the personality of the manager. If I walk into a retail store and I could be in there for maybe 10, 15 minutes, I, you could nearly gauge what the personas are of the, of the leadership team because the way the team are. So are they being given a lot of autonomy? So are they having a little bit of laugh and a joke on the shop floor? You know, are they being micromanaged? So then they're being nearly afraid to do anything, nearly asking permission, ringing the bell, ringing the phone, afraid to make those decisions. So you can you can very easily tell by those the traits, the behaviors that they're displaying, how empowered they actually are or how disempowered they are. And that then leads into that enthusiasm piece, because if I'm if I'm not allowed to make any decisions because I'm not feeling that I'm actually of good or of use and I'm not really going to care because I'm not given that accountability or that empowerment piece, you know, from from those people Mm. above me. So I think it has such a knock on effect to whoever comes in that door, whatever customer is in there, they feel that. 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah, I love this topic. I freaking love it because I lived and breathed it for 15 years and I have a bunch of stories, like crazy stories where I remember all these different things that happened, but it comes back to the same thing. You know, if we're happy going in and it doesn't mean that we have to be happy, Jackie, all the time. But if we if we're happy and if we show kindness and support to people that are inside in that building, like we would a family member walking into our, the door of our house. It's the same thing. If we show appreciation, we, we see the difference that makes and, um, you know, across the board and the, the business will have growth. You can see that, you know, it, it happens. Mm-hmm. It's just a natural affect the outcome and what annoys me sometimes is Ted is that I hear people talking about KPIs and you know key performance indicators in the business and conversion and average transaction units per transaction and all of this and I'm like that's the output that's the result what is the input what are you putting into it and they're like products I'm like no no what is the input the human Mm. skill what are you doing for the humans that are inside the pulse Mm -hmm. in order to get to that place so I think when we start working with that mentality we see the domino effect where that actually does increase across the board yeah 100 percent I've loved talking to you, Ted, um, and it's been absolutely amazing. Um, what tip do you have to give anyone that is thinking about that maybe wants their team to maybe get behind social media in their business um, and maybe the team are a little bit resistant because that can happen sometimes where they go, 
why do I have to do marketing or social media for this place? It's bad enough I'm in here from nine to six. Now they want me to post. Like, how do you get that buy-in? Because some people might feel that they're being out. Like, how do you, does that, is there any way that you position that where you get buy-in? Or do you think it's dependent on the person? I think it's dependent on the team, on the leader. Yeah. Uh, yeah. on, on not an expectation that it'll happen overnight on not expecting mm-hmm. it to be a hundred percent consistent and all the time, but, uh, but helping people to understand that it's going to help the business. And if we help the business, we help each other and mm-hmm. you help your own job. And, and, and if you don't want to make it personal about you, just make it about the business. Just take, you know, again, if it's a retailer, take pictures of the clothes, post something just so people know where you're working mm-hmm. or, Say to some people, if this isn't something you're comfortable with, then you don't have to participate. Yeah. You know, there's always a fear of saying that because everyone thinks everyone will go, well, then I'm not doing it. Well, then I'm not doing it. But I think you'll find your people that are your champions and let them run with it. Everybody doesn't have to do it. Yeah. I mean, there, again, there might be a retailer where they tell you when they hire you, but that's also okay because then it's part of the job description. Like, here's your job. So you're going to be a salesperson. You're going to be on the floor. You need to have an Instagram account. It doesn't have to be your regular one. You can start a new one just for this, but we'd like you to have one. Well, then it's a job requirement. And, it, and if you resist that, then you probably shouldn't have taken the job. Uh, if it's something that you're bringing in and after the fact, then I think you have to be cognizant of the people that will be comfortable with it and the people that won't yeah. and make a decision in advance. Do I want a clean house? Cause I need all new people that are going to be able to do this. Or am I willing to just go with the ones that are comfortable because I love my team and they're doing great work and it's not right to ask them to leave because they don't want to do something new. Yeah, totally, totally agree. And that's the conversations you have and getting to know them. And I think you touched on that and knowing but- where they're at in their own head. So where can people find you if they want to talk to you? They said, oh my God, I love what he said there. Where do they find you? Well, I, it's real easy. Just Google Ted Rubin. Um, mm-hmm. I'm all over like the first 20 pages. Um, go to tedrubin.com. Go yeah. to returnonrelationship.com. Go to Ted Rubin on LinkedIn. Ted Rubin on Facebook. Ted Rubin on Twitter. Um, T-E-D-R-U-B-I-N. Or just reach out to me personally. Tedrubin at gmail.com. I'll pick up the phone, 516-270-5511. That's here in the United States. I actually answer my phone. And if I don't, my voicemail is not full. So you can leave me a voicemail. I love the fact that you live and breathe what you actually say. And just so everyone knows, Ted actually does email you back. He's one of those people that actually does get back to you. So you you totally live and breathe your ethos. And I absolutely love that about you. Thank you so much for coming on, Ted. And My I'm pleasure. to get Andrew on for the next one and the two of you. I am going to I'm going to send out an email right now reconnecting you guys so yeah. that we get it done. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bye, everybody.